Welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa, and I'm a bottomless pit of need aching to be loved. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm the psychotherapist that's supposed to help clean that up. I don't know what to do with that. Well, I thought I'd, you know, we're talking about fear today. Fear is the... Yeah, fear. And so I remember one time recently I, I smoked too much pot. No, uh-huh. I, I got a gummy in San Francisco and it was so potent and it got, it took me to a really bad place. And uh-huh. my, the, the thing that the paranoid fear that came out was I'm unattractive and I'm never going to work again. And that yeah. everything up until this point, all the work that I had ever done was a hoax. Wow. It was like, I had like the biggest imposter syndrome. Just I felt, say. Yeah. I felt like a fraud. I felt like. Um, my 18 year marriage, my husband's been humoring me this whole time. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like my most unlovable place came up. Yeah, totally. Wow. It went dark, huh? It was gross. (laughs) It's fear. It's fear. It was totally, it wasn't rational. No, of course. It's what came up. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm brave enough to share that with you. And I love that. that. I love Uh, that. That's what uh, helps us manage our fears. But listen, like, right. Fear is a totally normal, healthy, functional human emotion to have, right? Mm-hmm, Especially mm-hmm. in terms of kind of like primal instincts, the things mm-hmm. that we need to do to make sure that we're okay. And everything Fight or right. flight. Fight or flight. And especially right now too, another thing to remember, obviously being in this global pandemic right now with mm-hmm. coronavirus is there are legitimate fears that are coming up that we really do need to tend to. But mostly kind of under uh, normal circumstances, it's kind of like our fear gets triggered when Uh we're not actually in the kind of threat that we think that we are. Yeah. But have you ever actually been in danger where um, you you were like, this is it. This is something bad could happen here. And I I am afraid. Yes, there was a time. Okay, so this was actually, it was two weeks into moving into LA. This story just came to me. Two weeks Mm -hmm. into moving into LA, I was was crossing over a crescent. I had Mm -hmm. just moved from New York and I was still really used to all the streets being one way. So I was crossing over a crescent, looking Mm -hmm. just the one way where cars were coming, not paying attention. Crescent and what? Crescent and Santa Monica. Okay, Crescent and Santa Monica, got it. Kind of a busy-ish intersection, right? And um, and I was just looking one way, and what I didn't realize was that there was another car coming, barreling down the street, <gasps> slammed on its brakes, and it happened oh. like that. Yeah. But, I, but then before I even realized it, it actually hit me, and it threw me up onto the windshield. Shut up! I shattered the entire windshield. And You've I rolled, never told me this. I know. Well, here we are. This is the perfect time to tell it. I rolled off, and I was in such shock that I just kind of like, crouched down on the ground and was just checking to see if I was still alive. And I was, and, uh, it was, you're a big, sturdy Irish boy. (laughs) I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, but it was insane. And kind of in that moment, I mean, it was just like this insane kind of rush of fear that went over me. And Uh yeah, so of course, so that was a legitimate fear. Yeah. And then what happened? How long did it take? Did the, did the driver move on or did they? No, so the the driver stopped and he actually started yelling at me, telling me that I was crossing when I shouldn't, which was true. I was actually, and I was just yelling back and being like, you just hit me. Oh my God. (laughs) He did a report, whatever. And, and I was fine. So I just left. I didn't even go to the hospital. So I could hit you with a car and you'll be perfectly fine. I'll just, I'll just roll on away. It's good to know. But see, for these instances, there are obviously legitimate moments in That's life, realistic. Our livelihood yeah. when our survival is really at risk. And, and it makes sense when that fear is coming up. But what we're talking about mostly is not those concrete 
real life moments. Oh, really? Because I wanted to tell my um, near death experience story. <laughs> oh, tell it. What's your near death experience? experience i have a story too um so i was landing in san francisco which is a notoriously dangerous airport because the runway is right on the bay they have all these delays it's constantly delayed because of the fog it's Mm -hmm. you know there's visibility there's wind issues and one time i was arriving from new york city i was landing in um, san francisco and there was severe wind shear and what that does the wind shear it pushes the plane up and it just makes the landing trickier right We are coming in for a landing in San Francisco, and we're just about to touch the runway. We're like, you know, maybe 100 feet in the runway. The plane goes back up Uh, and circles around. So everybody's like, okay, something's wrong. We circle around. We uh, And that takes about like another like 15 minutes to circle around and get back in the flight pattern, get back in line. We land. We almost land, almost land, almost land, and it goes back up again. So that all of a sudden, everybody in the plane gets super, super quiet. And then I look at the woman sitting next to me and we're both looking at each other. Like you may be the last person I ever see. Like I never, it really felt like this is something, this is, this is how planes crash. This is, you know, and I'm about to experience it. And then right, we come in for the landing for the third time. And as soon as the wheels touch, we land. And, but right before that moment, right before the wheels touched this, I'd never experienced it before. The entire plane was like, completely silent, completely like yeah. this is, this it's either going to happen now, or it was just like, even thinking about it now, my heart's racing. Like it was yeah. really a truly terrifying moment. Of course. Yeah. Because, yeah. These, are, because these are real life moments when yeah. our, when our survival is threatened. Right. Yeah. So being stoned and getting paranoid isn't a real moment is what you're telling me. No, this is the kind of fear that's tapping into something else. And it's, and like you said, it's the imposter syndrome. And especially mm-hmm. when you know, for, for all of us, we have some kind of version of that, right? Like mm-hmm. that fear that what we're projecting out into the world is a total farce. <gasps> Do you ever have that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Really? Yes. You're so good, Matthew. You're oh, so well, good. Like my heart's on my sleeve. So I feel like I'm the hot mess all the time because I'm completely <laughs> honest about my feelings. And you could be like, I, I'm, I'm really worried right now. And I would never know. <laughs> Totally. Yes. Emotional detachment. That's how I get by. No, yeah. I'm like, come on, Eve, I've talked about it. Even doing a show like this, right? It's like, this is, this is kind of nerve wracking. My fear gets stirred up. I'm supposed yeah. to be a professional, right? Like, do I sound smart? Do I actually sound like I know you what I'm talking You never about? look worried or anxious or anything. Well, Not a okay, hair out but, of place. You're perfectly fine. Well, okay, sure. But, you know, a, a part of that is because I've also gotten very, very skilled at knowing how to kind of talk myself through that, paying attention to the noise of fear that tells me that's not enough and knowing how to, you know, kind of not just try to shut that down, but, you know, kind of coax it so that I'm not spinning in it. Okay. All right. So we can function. Yeah. The point isn't so that we get to a place where we have no fears. That's never going to happen. And if you Mm -mm. expect to do that, you're going to be entirely emotionally detached and then you're not going to have any of the good juice of life. So, and you won't have a sense of, um, of danger. You won't have a sense of uh, protection or, or any of that, right? Yeah. I mean, we we do need our lizard brain in order to survive, in order to sense when something's wrong, when something's up. We need all of that to make sure that we legitimately are taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But also, even when that's not called into question, it's that same part of our brain and same part of our process that is actually the gateway for us to feel and to still remain connected to kind of you know, emotion. And that's how we connect with other people. That's how we connect to the zest of life. That's how mm-hmm. we connect to the things that are most meaningful to us. So we can't shut that down. It's like Brene Brown talks about how you can't 
you can't self-select certain emotions to not feel. So when yeah. you're saying, I'm not going to feel anger or fear or any of that stuff, then we shut down emotionally and then we don't have access to that magic of life. Yeah. You talk about Brene Brown a lot. Are you two lovers? I love Why didn't you Brene marry her? Brown. Come on, I would if I could. <laughs> um, do you have any phobias? Do you have any, like, um, like I'm claustrophobic. Somebody gave me that, um, uh, the Burke Williams uh, herbal wrap treatment when yeah. you're a spa treatment where right. they wrap you in this foil with all these herbs, like they mummify you like yeah. a baked potato and it's hot. And yeah. I was like, I don't like this. Like I had to, I had to go, no, I, I lasted for about a couple minutes. You don't want to be mummified, huh? Uh-uh. That was bad. <laughs> I actually have the same thing. Like uh, when I was younger, you know, when it would snow out, we'd have big blizzards. Like me and my friends would just kind of like barrel all of these tunnels and stuff. And if they were really narrow and long, I would freak out about it. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have those kinds of fears. But I would say even aside from that stuff, I think probably actually if I'm being super vulnerable and honest, one of my biggest fears is people not liking me. I've definitely got the please. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a little bit where sometimes I maybe do come across as like trying to kind of perfect what I'm saying or how I look. It's, you know, this fear that people aren't going to like me. And, you know, what does that mean about me? I like you, Matthew. Oh, and you know Show's what? That's, Good night, everybody. Thank that, you. That's all that matters. Um <laughs> claustrophobia is a big thing like there's an outward bound exercise that somebody told me about because they did that outward bound where you go hiking and you're supposed to overcome all your fears and everything okay. and there's this one thing where they walk a hundred feet through a, a, a narrow crevice in a rock uh -huh. and it starts out you're just able to walk through it and you're you're there with a line of people so you can't you nope. have to keep going and at one point there's basically a rock in your face and a rock in your back and you have to move through it and that sounds like the long? worst how far um, for a significant amount of time, if you're afraid, it would be awful. And then there's a guide above you, above the crack, kind of talking you through it. But yeah. that sounds like that would be the worst thing. I'm not scared of heights. I'm not. I'm scared of heights. You are? Yeah, but I could go. I can. I, I've been uh, skydiving, but I won't go bungee jumping. I'm never going to do that. I'm never <laughs> going to skydive. the ground like that close, I don't want to do it. Being in high trees when I was a kid, I would climb. I loved it, but I was also afraid of falling out. Right. I'm Dr. Megan Sachs. And I'm Dr. Amy Sloshberg. And we're the host of the podcast Campus Killings. Our show covers some of the most sinister crimes to take place on or around school campuses. Or the cases we discuss have a school-connected theme. And with the new school year comes an all-new second season of Campus Killings, which will debut on September 16th, 2023. But if you want to listen to Campus Killings now, you can binge all the episodes from season one. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Well, now that we're completely freaked out, let's bring on our guest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Today's guest is one of the top real estate agents in Beverly Hills. She's she. And one of the stars on the hit Bravo real estate reality shows, Million Dollar Listing, Los Angeles. She's also a single, hardworking mom to two teenage daughters, and now a best-selling author of her first book called Fear is Just a Four-Letter Word, How to Develop the Unstoppable Confidence to Own Any Room. Will you please welcome to the program, Tracy Tudor. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you guys? Hey, Tracy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, thanks for Alex. being on the show. You have two teenagers. Um, I, I do. Yeah. What are yours like? Mine's 15. I just got rid of them. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, 
They're great. I mean, the, the little one is like a mini version of me. So mm-hmm. she is a little feisty right yeah. now and uh, a bit hormonal, I would say. Oh, and then okay. the 14 and a half year old is like living her best life. And she's just, I don't know. It's like she crossed that threshold where yeah. she's now like, I, I really enjoy hanging out with her. So I'm just waiting for the little one oh. to be mildly less annoying. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, we, I, I'm I just crazy went through about that. Them. Yeah, yeah, I went through that. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, differentiation, the the point where I have to rebel against you. I have to be the opposite of you in order to kind of form my own identity. And now he is um, 15, so his circadian rhythm is off. So he sleeps about 20 hours a day. He's like I a bear. Know. Yeah. Maybe that's why I like the older one more. She sleeps about 15 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier I'm, that way. <laughs> I'm totally messing with them. Like they're 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 upstairs, but um, yeah, they're amazing. Congratulations on um million dollar listing. Yeah. Um, Thank how, you. How much fun is that? I was friends with uh, Madison Hildebrand when it first started out. We used to do a lot oh, yeah. of events together. Is he still on the show? No, he's not. He mm. dropped off a couple years back. Um, yeah. I think he'd been on it for a long time and was just ready to sort of move on. Right. And now you're a Bravo celebrity. How's that? <laughs> it's fun. I mean, yeah. it's like, a, it's definitely a family. Uh, we did BravoCon for the first time this last year. So it was like all of us in one room together, which was wild. No way. Because I'm a total nut when it comes to those shows. Like I live for like Southern Charm and Below Deck and like all those. Bravo fans. I love it. So it's like we're all standing in a room together and we're like, hi. You know, it was. Were there housewives? Yes, of course. Um, Which I'm a total housewives nut. So, I mean, I don't know how I have time to work between being on the Bravo show and actually selling real estate and watching television. Um, (laughs) But I find, I happen to find a way to figure it out. It's a a great network. And um, obviously I'm lucky to be a part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, obviously today we're talking about fear, which is your expertise, you know, which you've just written your first book about. Um, so uh, yep. specifically, though, with like the Bravo Con, especially being a fan, was there a lot of fear coming up for you then entering into that family? Uh, well, not as it related to Bravo Con. That was just like fun um, yeah. and wild. But uh, I think joining Million Dollar Listing and joining the network was definitely a big decision for me. I was, you know, I just turned 40 years old and. You know, it's not like I real estate shows or uh, reality television hadn't crossed my desk before, mm-hmm, but I just mm-hmm. finally was at a place in my life where I was very comfortable and confident about who I was, what, where I was in my life, um, imperfections and all. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be 100% authentic and myself and push the fear uh, out the door and and take a shot. And it, it turns out... Um, I made the right decision. Wow. I mean, you're in a very high pressure situation. I mean, with real estate. I mean, I, I hosted a I host a real estate conference in Palm Springs uh, once a year. It's called Nagel Rep. It's the National Association of Gay and Lesbian Real Estate Professionals. I call it Snagglepuss. But um, <laughs> they're they're like they're always on the clock and they're always like kind of like like the, the million dollar listing people like people of your ilk. And I always imagine that if I was put in that position and there was a camera on me, I wouldn't come off very well. I don't know. I feel like you're kind of nailing it right now. But yeah, yeah you're so great, Alec. Why? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think that I, I would it would because when I'm under pressure and I'm under a lot of stress, I I become very snappy. I become very kind of like um a, a kind of mean in a way that uh because of the fear, I guess. Yeah. 
Definitely. Does that make sense? That does make sense because when you, because it's kind of just like, you know, almost kind of like a, kind of like a gnarled dog being backed into a corner, right? It's Mm -hmm. kind of like defense to like bark and grasp, even though you want to be okay. Yeah. The part of me that, that has to remember to be nice to people and to be patient and to take a breath that goes out the window when I'm under pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would say for me, that's a little bit true. My, my partner, Gina, who's sitting over there would agree. Uh, when I get, when I feel like I'm under pressure from time to time, I tend to get a little snippy, a okay. little bitchy here and yeah, there. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it is what it is. We're all, you know, living and doing everything we can to survive. And, and I've got three jobs, two kids, a couple dogs, three horses, you know, and a young boyfriend. We're just trying to make it work here. Yeah. Wow. You've got, I mean, you have a lot going on and I think that that's really cool. But what's interesting is that you chose to write a book on fear specifically. Um, so what was it that led you to do that? What, what inspired that? You know, I think my big thing was I was coming onto this network and I was the only woman on a male dominated show. Yeah. And I, I felt like there was, and not even in, in one city, but in, in two different franchises. Right. So uh, not two different cities. And I just felt like I had 20 years experience in real estate under my belt. And I didn't really have anyone that I looked up to um, when I was in my 20s and starting off in my career. And whether it's in whether it was in real estate or anything else, I always felt like that was lacking for me. And I seemed to connect with that audience. And I thought to myself, I really should be giving back and I need to do something in order to do that. And we threw around the idea of like podcasts and all this stuff. And they were like, why don't you write a book? And I said, oh, no. No, I'm not a writer. I, I've got two kids. I got I'm, a young yeah. boyfriend. I got yeah. three jobs. I got, I <laughs> Let's did. write a book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but ultimately, they were like, just do me a favor. Sit down. Write an outline on what you think this book would be about. And I sat down with a, a bottle of Chardonnay and mm-hmm. my friend from my team. And I said, you know me better than anyone. What is? What are we talking about? And you know, within an hour and a half a bottle of Chardonnay, mm-hmm. I came up with the idea. And what kept reoccurring uh, was that fear was the one thing that held me back from success at an earlier phase in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what the theme of the book became about. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's as I've been, I'm an actor and I, I do stand up on the road and everything. And there's always some point when I'm working where I do have to take a breath and go, okay, you've done this before get up there or right. um, uh, this isn't the end of the world, <laughs> get up there. Or, uh, you know, when you walk into network execs and you have to sell yourself, you talk in your book. Uh, and I think this is really interesting. Um, you talk about small changes you can make to put you in control and not your fear. Now, what is some practical advice you can share? You know, for me, um, you know, you obviously want to do diligence before you walk into any room on who mm-hmm. you're going to be meeting with, sitting across from, uh, sort of the who, what, where, when, why right. of who, who you're going to be in front of right. so that you feel confident about at least who it is that you're sitting across from and the ability to say to yourself, I can make a human connection with that person because that's really what it's all about. Whether you're in stand-up or I'm selling real estate or myself to a new client or, or you're talking to a patient, it's about connecting. And, if we, you know, and people want to build rapport and want to... Um, hang out, talk to, and trust people that are like them yeah. or that we want to be like them. Yeah. Um, so that's a, connect, a really great way to sort of start. And then I always say to myself, another tip before I walk in the room, and I don't know if you did this before you go on stage, but when I was acting, I sure as shit would. 
um, I would take like a minute and just let it out because you get all that built up anxiety uh -huh. and tension in your uh -huh. gut and it's like everything's pumping and you're about to go into that meeting or about to go on stage and sometimes it can be incredibly overwhelming and whether it's you know stepping outside and like letting it all hang out and you know having a scream or you know you look at like these weightlifters that lift the, those crazy weights, like uh -huh. Olympic weightlifting, uh -huh. they always are hitting themselves before they go to lift the weight. It's like they're <laughs> psyching themselves up right. to do something that is terrifying. Right. And I yeah. think that, you know, taking a minute or two for yourself to do that is really um beneficial. You said something about connecting with people. And I think that's really important. People want to work with people that they're like, or they have a connection with. And it reminded me, one of the first pilots I ever uh, tested for was at um, 20th Century Fox. And I came in and I tested and then I went home and I was like, something's wrong. And I found out a, a, a executive from Fox didn't like me. And I knew who he was. He was like this crabby guy in the back row. He was scowling at me the whole time. Anyway, I let it go. The following week, they brought me back in again. So I had to go in front of the same executive again, knowing how much he hated me. Yeah. So I came in and his arms were crossed. And the first thing I said, I looked at him. I said, well, I suppose a group hug is out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed. That's and, amazing. And I just kind of called it out and he laughed and he knew that I knew and I knew that he knew. And then it was like we were cool and I got it. So it was, you know, I, I passed the test. That the big lesson for me was kind of establishing the connection with the people in the room is so important, whether or not you get and something. using. Yeah. And I, I talk about that in the book and using humor is a great way to do that, whether it's like the self-deprecating humor or that mm -hmm. universal humor or what I call defensive humor, which we don't really love to use. Um, there's all these different ways to connect with people. Humor is my favorite way because when you get people in a room laughing, they identify sudden, with you. Yeah, they identify with you, and there's vulnerability all over the place. Everybody mm -hmm. kind of takes a breath, yeah. and and then it's like you can go back to you know what it is that you're there to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you said too, that one of the best strategies for you has just been to essentially just be authentic, right? Like make sure that you're just being yourself and you're bringing that to the table which for a lot of people can be really challenging, right? And it's like Alec and I were kind of talking at the top of the show just about like imposter syndrome and, you know, and how much we can kind of almost like put out, like project out a different version that's maybe not ourselves. So what for you has been helpful for you to make sure that you are, you're not projecting out some kind of like false part of yourself and really just being you? Well, I, I talk about that as well. You know, it's, it's the idea of being a chameleon, right? And um, which sometimes can mean you're being inauthentic. And I disagree with that, that idea, because as long as you know who you are, like really, really, truly inside, we know that we're, there's different facets to all of us. So channeling mm -hmm. different parts of ourselves to go into different rooms, mm -hmm. to sit down with different personality types and people um, and be effective, we have to be able to be a chameleon. I always know who I am, but you know, sitting across from you, it's very easy for me to be a little bit more of my authentic, true, true, true self. Mm -hmm. But you know, if I'm going to do uh, Yahoo Finance, um, <laughs> I might take a little bit more of you know, in an interview, I might take a little bit more of a conservative approach. I'm always going to do me, yeah. but but for Yahoo Finance, shift. you have to sound like you know stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which actually may be not so authentic. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you love what you do, obviously. I mean, it's I I, I don't think I could do real estate. The hustle would kind of kill me. I think that I, I that that responsibility of having to come up with stuff. I think that if you're a if you're a, a realtor, you're really good at drumming up your own business. But you have like the double whammy of being a woman in this business. You said you're the first female cast member on Million Dollar Listing. You didn't have anybody growing up. Um, that you looked up to, what are, what are the specific differences between men and women in your business? And, and how, how do you, is it okay for you as a woman to express vulnerability in business as opposed to a man? A man can express his concerns in a certain way. If you uh, do it as a woman, are you conceived, uh, perceived differently? I think it's all in the approach. Um, first I'll say the first part of the question is women are originally the first real estate agents. I mean, you know, selling homes was always a, a career path that many, many women chose. And still mm. to this day, we represent over 63% of, of that workforce. Mm. Um, where we sort of lack the representation is in the executive level um, and brokerage level and mm. the commercial um, real estate piece. Um, and, and that's why we still see a little bit of that gap between even though we are well represented, um, as broke or as real estate agents um, in the field, there still is a little bit of a disconnect, and that's even a, you know that's a much larger problem. But uh, second to that, I think being a woman um, on a show like Million Dollar Listing, I have to um, have a pretty big personality, mm-hmm. and you know, stepping outside of that and being able to stand next to these guys that are selling, you know, half a billion dollars a year in real estate and be able to hold my own, um, you know, means I have to be empowered. I have to know what I'm doing and I have to be confident in my skill set. Uh-huh. Um, I'm all, I'm, I'm all of those things, but that can be interpreted as being bossy, bitchy, overly confident, arrogant, or an egomaniac. And so I've had to deal with this on social media quite a bit from, you know, trolls and things of that nature. And, you know, right. I, you don't know me, but I, I, I am not one to really walk away from an attack. So hmm. I, you know, you know, people always say like, don't challenge these trolls. And I'm like, says who? I absolutely am going to challenge them because, you know, why am I a bitch or why am I too vulnerable? Um, you know, and why is that any different from what the men next to me are doing? Right. It's yeah. just a weird thing for women to continue to negotiate. I mean, like you talked about being a chameleon. It's kind of like, when am I one of the guys? When am I not one of the guys? When is it all business? When it, I don't think that men have to negotiate that just being male right. in, a, in a business right. environment. Definitely. And I can yeah. understand also where the where that like temptation to want to to defend that, right? Especially on social media, I get, you know, I get people that control me too. And um, I actually kind of take a different approach to it though, because my belief is that when anybody is kind of coming at us or attacking us, not in any constructive way, but truly just to try to tear us down, mm-hmm. when that's right. happening, I don't respond to that. Because if I do, I know what it's reinforcing to me, which is this is something that I have to defend, which means then that maybe there is something off kind of within me. So my approach is to never give that any kind of any kind of real credence. You are so right, Matthew, and you're much further along. In- <laughs> <laughs> you want to punch back. It's in your self-awareness, 
No, you're you're absolutely right. But there is some, I I think it's it's less about me personally. It's about sort of this platform of being the only woman mm-hmm. on a male dominated mm-hmm. show. And I will not let you uh you know tell me that I'm too confident right. or bossy or a bitch no. because I'm standing next to men who are definitely have as big of egos. I mean, right. Bigger egos yeah. Yeah, than me. Sure. I hate so that sexist double standard. Like already, like, you know, they're, they're vetting all the vice president yeah. female candidates. And there's so many headlines that, um, that describe them as entitled or ambitious or it's, right. it, and it's just kind of like, it's so gross because you would never say that it, to for a man to be a, ambitious is, it doesn't, right. it doesn't, it doesn't violate the social hierarchy of masculinity. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. I hear you too, that it's not, that it's not even necessarily you just kind of coming in defense of yourself. It's also just kind of like coming in defense of womanhood and speaking out against misogyny when you're able to, you know, kind of attack those kinds of double standards and those comments. And if that makes me a bitch, then put me to the top of the list. <laughs> so it sounds yeah. like so much of your advice is based on like experiences, you know, where, where you've had to stand up to yourself. Can you remember a time where you were put in a situation where it's kind of like, this is my turn, like in a corporate or business situation where you're like, this is, it's time for me to advocate for myself. Oh, absolutely. Um, most recently, actually, on the show this season, I worked with, um, I would say to date in my 20 years, the most difficult client I've ever come across. And that was for a $500 million portfolio in Malibu that I had the opportunity to go out for and wow. pitch. I ended up landing that. And you guys see a little bit of it on the show for a couple of episodes. They edited out a lot of the misogyny that was coming from him. Um hmm. And a lot, yeah, I mean, you know, there were a lot of challenges with him. Um, And it got to the point where I said, you know, I can make $10 million in commission over the course of the next three to four years with this portfolio that I have, you know, landed. But to what extent do I want to let myself be abused that way? And I think I, I I think I kind of came to that realization after my business partner was not sleeping, my director of operations was in tears. I hadn't slept in weeks. My anxiety level was at an all-time high. My other clients were suffering because of it. And I had basically an around-the-clock, non-stop dialogue going on with this client. It was sucking the life out of me. And so, you know, I made that decision that that monetary sort of end of the road pot of gold was not worth my health, my, my, my business partner's yeah. um, health or any, and it's just not worth it. And that's was he, like was something he verbally that I talk abusive? a lot about. Was he a bully? Was he? All of the above. And, and what's interesting is I don't think, I think to this day, uh, you know, <laughs> he still texts me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's incredible. I think that's incredible that you were able to actually draw that hard line in the sand and have a boundary because I mean, $10 million sounds amazing. Right. But Uh you chose your own self care over the like fear of needing money. Right. And so you challenged that fear, which is incredible. Right. But I think again, I had to go through it myself. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's like the lesson. I think as you become older and more experienced in whatever it is that you do, you're, you're, your internal red flags start to be a little bit more in your face. Exactly. And, you know, that's that's your intuition and your gut that is that you're actually utilizing more on a regular basis that I don't think 
you know, in your twenties and even your early thirties that you're as tapped into. I think when, when you sort of kind of get further along in life, all of a sudden that the gut and the intuition begins to be your greatest asset. And as a woman, the intuition, yeah, you do it because that's really that emotional process for us. And we give, you know, just, just more attention to some of the fears that come up, some of the other stuff that comes up and start listening to it a little bit more. Yeah. And if you think about it, when you're sitting across from, you know, people that you're meeting with for, you know, business personal, you always have an inner dialogue going on. Like there's always like, that was a weird statement that he just made Uh or you're, you know, you're always like, Oh, you have this, but you're like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." yeah, it's subjective communication. They say there's no, there's no separation. There's no blocking. Like we could have our objective communication where we're talking and I'm going, hi, how are you? But if there's a feeling of like something weird's happening, he's up to something or do you know what I mean? It's like, it's our inner feeling, your gut feeling. It sounds to me like when you stood up for yourself, you were making a quality of life decision over the business decision, which I really respect because you said you were losing sleep. You were worried about your team. You're like, I'm going to be fine with or without this person. So I'm sticking up for myself because that's more important. Yeah. I think the biggest, like you have that, like the light uh, switch just flips, right? And you're right. you're hovering and you're hovering, and then and you know something's not right, and all of a sudden you 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 take that leap of faith and and you make the decision to do something different, and you land on your feet most of the time because in most negative situations it's hard to leave, um, and you know when you do, it's the most freeing thing in the world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Owning your no. Okay, so Matthew and I are learning a lot from you. Okay, we're taking a deep breath. When we're feeling scared, we are going to establish engagement. Walk us through, okay, you're meeting a, a million dollar, billion dollar client for the very first time and of uh, the very first time. And uh, you walk into the uh, uh, the room. What's your game plan? Well, my game plan is that I already know uh, a lot about the billionaire client. I know, mm-hmm. I know if he's married, I know if he has kids, I know what he's passionate about outside of work. I know about his business, if he's had, uh, you know, if he's been promoted, if he sold his company recently, or if his stock is tanking. I, I, these are the things that I know before I'm going in. You, you bone up, you like study and you, you, you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then I figure out, I know this sounds silly, but like as a woman, like what you wear and how you enter a room is also crucial. So mm-hmm. I pay attention to that because I think those mm-hmm. cues and how you present yourself are a big part of how you land the billion dollar client. Um, and then once I'm in there, it's about listening and it's about, you know, letting them give you more cues to kind of define what mood they're in because their personality type, you can figure out beforehand, um, social media, Google, all of those things. But once you're in the room with them, are they agitated? Are they apathetic, which is the worst? Are they oh. excited? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're able to take some of the tools that I talk about in the book to sort of shift your, uh, your engagement with them so that you can navigate whatever mood it is that they're in. Matthew, that's, that's what how, you do. Yeah. That's how you connect. I mean, like, yeah. Tracy, I'm actually kind of curious about something because you, I mean, you for sure come across as like incredibly confident and, you know, able to t- tackle all the things that you've been able to tackle. What is it for somebody like you who is really confident? Like what's something that you would say today is something that even just kind of scares you? What's some fear that comes up for you that maybe people wouldn't expect? Oh God. I mean, I, I'm, I have fear every single day. 
I mean, every day I face it. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of unknowns out there in mm-hmm. my business. Um, I don't know um, if expanding the team is a great idea. I don't know if I'm cut out to have a 50-person team like Ryan Serhant or Frederick Eklund or the Altmans for that matter. Um, it's a terrifying um, a place for me because financially it requires a lot of my um, – a lot of me putting a lot of my money back into the business. And mm. I don't, I don't, I'm terrified that it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I have to listen to my gut and my gut's telling me that, you know, getting too much bigger is not the right move for me. Yeah, totally. Wow. I really don't, I don't want to manage people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a huge responsibility because then now it's mm-hmm. not just about your own livelihood, but you're taking care of other people. And of course, there's a lot of fear that would come up from that. Girl, you yeah. are you are alpha because I broke out into a cold sweat when you said 50 people. I would not want That's that responsibility. Yeah. I was just like, Jeez. well, a lot of these, a lot of these very successful agents, and particularly um, the guys that have been on the show. You know, obviously, the show feeds us a lot of leads, which is the reason you know we all do this. And that's a wonderful thing. And so you start getting these leads and things start growing and everything becomes, you know, three times more complicated mm-hmm. than it was before you had it. And then we were talking about it just before, uh, you know, we came on here. It's like, how are we going to continue to function and keep it relatively small um, with the amount of business and, and growth that mm-hmm. we're having? Mm-hmm. So constant dialogue around that. Definitely constant dialogue. And then even just checking in on our own kind of like inner dialogue that goes on, right? That back and forth between what we feel and what we know. And a lot of people in my experience really tend to either choose one or the other, right? It's kind of like, if this makes sense, then I shouldn't be feeling that. So let's stuff it away or, you know, kind of the opposite. But what for you is helpful where you're able to maybe kind of create the space for both of those things to exist, to know that there's some fear um, and allow that to almost have a voice or a seat at the table without it dominating. Totally. Your right. Right. The balance. How do you find that? Totally. And I, I experienced this like on a personal level too, with, you know, dating someone new yeah. and that process of putting yourself out there again and, and what I'm really looking for. You know, I've been married, I have kids mm-hmm. Can I just be happy in what I'm in. So I'm constantly having that dialogue with myself because I struggle with the same concepts and ideas and historic norms Mm -hmm. in relationships and business alike. And so I'm just constant. I'm, I really do. I, I voice my fear and then I accept the fact that that scares the shit out of me. And then I make the decision anyway to keep moving. That is the best advice ever. Actually, one of my favorite quotes ever is, uh, Feelings are like kids in a car. They shouldn't be driving, but they also shouldn't be locked in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> wait, that's wait, the we, best. Wait, we can lock yeah. them in a trunk, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, um, you're so cool, Tracy. Oh, I, you're like you. you're a really unexpected pleasure to yeah. hang out with. Mm-hmm. I want to split a bottle of Chardonnay with you. And yeah, just kind of like, just, <laughs> just listen to your lessons of, of overcoming everything because you're, you're you're really badass. We'll smoke a joint, have a bottle of Chardonnay. I'm there. And, and also, I'm there. with your boyfriend, <laughs> how much younger are we talking here? I mean, he's young. <laughs> yeah, he's in high school. <laughs> no, he's, he's legal. I mean, okay, he's legal. Oh, he's, he's in his he's he's in his twenties. He's in his mid 
almost upper 20s. Yes, mama. Wow. <laughs> Listen, um, we always end the, the, the show with a hot message, but I feel like your whole interview has been a hot message. But if you have one more uh, message about over- overcoming fear, today's subject, what, what would you tell us? I would say what I tell everybody in my book, you know, for all the women out there that are waiting for the right time to make a move, the time is now. You have a lot of, a lot of motherfuckers to prove wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You're the best. Where can we find you on the socials? At Tracy Tudor. At Tracy Tudor. And and the name of your book again, once again, so everybody can buy it on Amazon immediately. Yes, please do. Um, fear is just a four-letter word. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show today, Tracy. Thanks. You guys are amazing. You have great energy. Ah. <laughs> we we had engagement. We had engagement. That's yeah, what we had. We established it. rapport. Rapport over Zoom is a a hard thing to do. It is. It is. All right. You guys have an amazing day. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. So make sure to watch Tracy on Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles on Bravo at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. She was so cool. She was really cool. She was she so was re- sweet. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I don't know. I was worried. I was like, I don't know. I was, I was a little intimidated. And then she was just like so like she knows her stuff. She is the epitome of a boss because a boss is somebody who can come to the table with real authentic confidence and also not have to be a bulldog to try and prove anything. She was like the perfect note. She's great. I wish I was a billionaire so I could buy houses from her. Wow. So what's your hot message for the day, Matthew? Uh, I probably would say that maybe my hot message of the day is, you know, fear can have a seat at the table, but it's not going to be the thing that's going to dictate what I'm doing. Right. Right. Yeah. What about you? What's your message? Uh, well, you know, I think it's really easy to uh, perseverate, you know, just worry all the time. And uh, the, the greatest quote, because worry is just fear. It's just yeah. telling yourself a spooky story. And um, somebody once said that, uh, I don't know who said it, worry is a misuse of the imagination. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you're worried about something, just tell yourself a different story. Or yeah. have a bottle of Chardonnay. Um, Matthew, where can people find you on socials? Because I know they want to. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. You can find me at Alec Mappa uh, at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And be sure to follow us on social at The Hot Mess Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen to Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey Psychotherapist. We're so grateful that you chose to spend your hour with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Yay. Bye guys.